Hi friends, welcome to the Friends of France podcast. In this safe space, we are favored in each episode with the presence of an expert guest from different fields and specialties as we learn about their life journeys, their successes, possible regrets, and realizations, their work, why they do what they do, and even their life outside of work. In here, we tear down common myths and misinformation with up-to-date, evidence-based science and data simplified for anyone to digest. We don't shy away from topics that can sometimes be polarizing or taboo. We normalize the humanization of healthcare and its workers, and we promote the importance of self-care and safeguarding your mental health. Please keep in mind that the conversations in this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. They are not implied or intended to be a substitute for professional medical diagnosis, advice, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers regarding a medical condition. Are you ready? Let's go! Hi friends, happy Friday! Another episode of the Friends of France podcast. It is February 3rd. It's February. It's a love month. Valentine's Day is coming soon and I'm still single and alone. (laughs) I think the last time that I ever felt any kind of love during Valentine's Day was back in high school. There was a girl who was an underclassman and she would give me chocolate-covered strawberries during homeroom section every Valentine's Day. Can you believe that? Where is that energy now? Where is it? (laughs) Kidding aside, February, aside from being love month and showered with love from my family and friends, and not a partner, it's okay. February is the second year anniversary of Friends of France. We started the podcast as a live stream series back in February of 2021. And I can't believe it's 2023 already. Thank you everybody for following me in this podcast since it was an Instagram live stream series. And until now, it's become a global platform. Thank you so much. And two years later, here I still am with the main goal of giving you all the expert guests where we can learn so many things about their specialties and about the people that they treat and that they take care of every single day. And today we have a topic that's very, very taboo, especially from my East Asian background. These are topics that I could have never imagined would be spoken about in the public. Yes, it's all about all things down there (laughs) if you know what i mean we've had a touch of this during the first episode of the season with dr shiva kufrani we'll talk about sexually transmitted illnesses and diseases we'll talk about sex and sexual dysfunction erectile dysfunction low libido premature ejaculation we'll also talk about anatomical problems like uterine prolapses reconstructive surgery incontinence and leakage You know, according to the Mayo Clinic, about 50% of women suffer from urinary incontinence or the inability to control urination voluntarily. But only 25-61% to of these affected women discuss these problems with their healthcare providers. And this is true for all the other conditions and issues that I previously mentioned. Anything that's related to down there to our intimate parts of the body, it truly hide and usually they are sources of shame and fear of judgment. That's why we are hesitant to share about them with our healthcare providers. But today we strip all of these issues down down in nakedness and rawness with full empathy and compassion with the honor of being joined today by board-certified urologist and female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgeon Dr. Fenwa Milhouse, who's also the owner of Down There Urology in Chicago, Illinois. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Urine Good Hands. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Dr. Fenwa, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Christian? Good to see you. Thank you so much for being with me here tonight. I'm so honored. I'm such a huge fan of your work. And I was thinking that because March is National Kidney Month, and your practice obviously goes beyond just the kidneys. But I thought we could bring you in and we'll talk about it. And I'm so grateful for you to be here. Could you just introduce yourself to everybody tonight, please? Yes. To everybody who doesn't know, I am Dr. Fenwa Milhouse. I am your favorite urologist, (laughs) officially, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and I am a board-certified urologist, which is a surgeon who specializes in urinary tract issues, male reproductive, sexual issues, but I also have a subspecialty that allows me to focus on female pelvic medicine, which includes a bunch of female issues and sexual dysfunction on the female side too. 
Yeah, and that's something that I wanted to delve into later as we talk more about urology is, I said in my stories before, but I feel like the field of urology is one that is not really talked about too often. Like you always hear about cardiology and especially with the whole COVID, pulmonary, respiratory, and a lot of different surgeries, but we don't hear much about pelvic surgery or urogynecology surgeries. And that's why you are the people's favorite urologist because, you know, you're bringing education in about your I didn't know. I didn't even know about urology until the first or second week in medical school. I'd never heard of it. And I had to pretend like I knew what it was when someone was like, I'm going to be a urologist. I didn't want to look stupid. (laughs) So I was like, oh, cool, cool. And I went on my back in the day, we had the like big fat, you know, desktop that was like (laughs) massive. I went back through, I don't even know if it was Google, whatever it was, search engine, Bing or Yahoo, I don't know. And looked up urology and I was like, oh, I can't do that. That's that not bad. That's too much. That's too intimidating. I can't do that. Don't want anything with that. Oh my God. Hello. I think that's my son up in the chat. I love it. Oh, thank you for supporting your mom. I know. Dr. Mulhouse, I wanted to ask first before we get into the whole nitty gritty about the kidneys and neurology, where did this love for medicine start? Was it like a family member or a friend or a personal experience? Well, it's, I'm Nigerian born in Nigeria, immigrant. And if you know anything about Nigerians, there's like three options for like professions that you can go when you're a kid of a Nigerian. Yeah, it's doctor, lawyer, engineer. So that's it, you know. But so it's kind of like instilled in you, like ingrained. They start indoctrinating you in this like an infant. But anyway, I, you know, all jokes aside, I did grow with a kind of love towards, I want to help people. I want people to feel better after with whatever I do. I I knew I want to do something that had to do with people and making them be better in some kind of way. My mom is a retired nurse. And Mm -hmm. so I, and my dad is a geologist. So my dad is like a nerdy, nerdy (laughs) scientist. And I was like, ah, I want to deal with people, not rocks and oil. My mom is the nurse. And, you know, so I, I gravitated towards that. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted to do something healthcare related. Got it. But, you know, the world of healthcare, specifically medicine, is such a long road, right? You do four years of undergrad, then four years of medical school, X amount of years of surgery, and then you can do fellowship if you want to. And then there's all those step exams. It's mm-hmm. such a long and arduous road. It's physically tolling, it's mentally tolling, emotionally tolling. Did you have any regrets in pursuing the field now that you've been practicing? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> Okay, so I love what I do. Let me just say that again. I love what I do. I love my specialty. I would choose urology every single Mm. time. Close second, maybe plastic surgery, but I really, really love urology. I like talking to the patients about like personal Mm. issues, you know, I'm kind of (laughs) nosy and I'm also kind of talkative. So if it's about sex and like urine and genitals like um i could talk for days so anyway i love what i do and i love working with my hands i love operating Mm -hmm. now the healthcare itself medicine itself is not only arduous the journey to get there years and years that you sacrifice Mm -hmm. it's a lot of money too you know money Mm -hmm. that you spend investing and studying for the mcat Mm -hmm. and these other tests Mm -hmm money that you spend during, they don't talk about all the money that you spend just in like medical school, for instance, mm-hmm. doing any away rotations mm-hmm. or certain other opportunities that are can be somewhat important yeah. depending on your specialty cost money. Mm-hmm. You know, I did an away rotation in New York. I paid rent there for a month and rent mm-hmm. back in Houston. And then the money lost yeah. because you are not of the workforce, yeah. right? Your friends who are not in medicine are going to be working starting at age 22, 23, 24. Or you are still you're just accruing debt like you're just like mm-hmm. tab it tab it tab it to the government tab it to yep. them, you know and then residency you aren't paying back those loans in residency because residency is barely <laughs> you know just to live yeah. ends meet. and then you get out into this field and the field of medicine has done a good job of burning out its valuable people yeah. it's a lot of other non-medical things that you don't realize you have to do mm-hmm. you know i was telling somebody i was like the amount of time i spend in front of the computer <laughs> doing things yeah. for medicine that aren't actually what i like to do you know like the urology <laughs> and then let's talk about that's not that i'm getting paid for 
for. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some of it gets baked into the cost or into my, what I get charged, what I can charge for, but a lot of it doesn't. Yeah. A lot of time we spend doesn't get accounted. Not that we go into this for money, yeah. but we are like working harder than the average person. Mm-hmm. And then to have other work that we do that's not compensated. So there are some serious changes that need to be made if Mm -hmm. we are going to continue to attract people in Mm -hmm. this field and keep them in the field. Because we are experiencing an exodus of doctors and (laughs) other healthcare professions. They're like this, you know, we have to create a better lifestyle. We have to make the journey of becoming a doctor cheaper. And we have to really get back to like... Like the medicine of it and yeah. not like the charting and yeah. the boxes that have mm-hmm. to be checked. Yeah. So would I do it all over again? I would do it differently. Mm. And I would tell anybody who, and again, we need, we need doctors badly. Yeah. We need doctors of color yeah. badly. Yes. So I'm trying to motivate as many, yeah. but I say to everyone, make sure you cultivate your own passion mm. outside of trying to grind to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Don't lose yourself in this journey. Mm. You'll need that. Do not lose yourself in this journey. Mm-hmm. Cultivate that. Hold on to that. I would do it differently and I would cultivate passions that I kind of just let fall to the wayside mm-hmm. because I was like, you're on a mission to become a doctor. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, super yeah. agree with that. I mean, even now that I'm preparing to take the MCAT, the amount of money that I had to spend for the resources for the MCAT itself. And then I'm just thinking about, oh my gosh, all of the schools I'm going to apply to this summer and each one has to fee. Yeah. It makes you realize how greedy and broken the system getting into medicine is. And, you know, I'm very fortunate and I feel blessed that I have a work of my own. You know, I am a nurse. I can provide for myself for these resources. But there are so many who are capable and fit and want to become physicians, but don't have the socioeconomic means to do so. And it feels like the system is dissuading them more from entering medicine because of all of these financial and monetary barriers that we have, which is so sad. It's just so, so sad. It's 100%. 100%. I mean, it's crazy. You know, talent and opportunity don't match. Yeah. You know, you see, meet talented people and they don't have the opportunity. So it comes down simply as, you know, a lot of it comes down to money and where the money, Mm -hmm. who has the money, who doesn't, Mm -hmm. where the money is going to invested in mm-hmm. and, and where it's not mm-hmm. it's a huge problem we need to you you can apply for so you can do all of this right mm-hmm. spend all this money applying not even get it <laughs> think about all of you know we, the last week was match week yeah which yeah. for anybody who doesn't know match week is where thousands and thousands of medical students fourth year medical students across the country find out that hopefully they got into residency mm-hmm. it, you know it's like uh, you get one spot you don't get a like a number, you get one spot, mm-hmm. you know, so, and so you find out, yes, you got in mm-hmm. and then you find out a few days later where you're going for the next, whatever, three to six years. Yeah. Okay. And so when I applied for urology, I applied to 40 different schools. I went to two different away rotations for a month. That means I spent a month away from my apartment in mm-hmm. Houston mm-hmm. and lived someplace else for two months to be competitive in urology. Okay. Mm-hmm. Applied to 40. That was the standard. I think it still is. Mm-hmm. Standard, like how many you apply to, to mm-hmm. increase your odds, mm-hmm. 40. Each application costs something. Okay. And there are unfortunately thousands of medical students who did not match even after all of that. The amount of and we have a shortage. Money. I mean, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> so sad. It is so sad. Yes. Sadly, it's yeah. the system. It's not really the capabilities of the student who's applying to residency. It's, I mean, it's such a randomized event, right? Like the computer just matches you based on the rankings. Yeah. Well, the way that we determine who's yeah. competitive is not really based on the real things that make people good doctors. Okay. Now this is coming from somebody who is, I was a master test taker. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had the advantage of, okay, if I, you prepared me, I could get in front of that test and I would do, you know, well, mm-hmm. okay. But that does not make me a good doctor mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. at all, at all. Mm-hmm. And we, have countless examples of people who mastered the test, the MCATs and the steps, 
and they are not like they just don't have the social capabilities yeah. they don't have like common sense yeah. they are reckless they're whatever okay so what separates you and makes you competitive and oh you got the spot and i got the spot is not based on like the most important things and so we have to figure out a way and it's hard i know because you're interviewing like tons and there's tons of applicants mm -hmm. but we've got to figure out a more holistic way yeah. of evaluating yeah. people yeah. Yeah. to get into these slots and make more dang slots <laughs> why are we have a shortage but the unmatched there's unmatched fully capable medical students i'm i'm confused yeah and it's so so bewildering to me that these are already physicians who are graduating and who are not able to work pay back their loans because they have no spots to match and it's just so sad and you're right doc <laughs> there has to be a change in system somehow throughout the years. It's no longer October, but let me tell you a horror story. I was working bedside as a nurse. 12 hour shifts, 12,000 to 15,000 steps per night, always exposed to dripping blood, pee, and other fluids. And guess what? I was wearing skateboarding shoes for almost a year. Because my feet were killing me, I switched to more comfortable sneakers but had to go through three pairs because I would find new stains after shifts. And over time, as the pandemic came, I was too exhausted to think about my feet or even changing my footwear. I was then introduced to Clove, and I no longer had to do the thinking. To support the steps of those who dedicate their lives to caring for others, Clove collaborated with healthcare professionals and innovative designers to create a shoe that prioritizes the needs of those in the front line. These are sneakers designed for healthcare. They already did the thinking. Easy to clean and fluid repellent, I no longer have to worry about those red streaks or pea-soaked socks since I use the same wipes at work to remove every stain. Just this summer, one of my patients unexpectedly bled from the radial artery access site and made a pool in my brilliant whites on the floor. A few swipes with the purple wipes, all clean and with no damage. Plus being squeak-free, I no longer have to worry about waking up a sleeping patient. Layered with comfort, sore toes are no longer my problem since the shoes are now upgraded with double the cushioning, 50% more arch support, and a perfect heel pad. On top of this, the grippiest outsole also allows for a fluid channel technology while maintaining super secure footing. And yes, it's 100% cruelty-free and vegan. I love all of my clothes shoes and I hope that you can get ready to also step into your perfect pair. Use code FRANZ, that's F-R-A-N-Z or visit goclove.com slash friends for 15% off your first pair of clove shoes at checkout. I am no stranger to seeing patients that can't get the care they need because they can't afford it. Even if they get a medical recommendation that will help them, oftentimes, medication costs are so high it's totally out of reach, or they would have to choose between feeding their family or paying rent in order to get the medication, so people have to go without. After living through a pandemic, on some level, we all know the healthcare system in the United States is broken. That is why I am happy to see that mission-driven businesses are now taking an interest in the problem because it's not getting solved fast enough. Better Remedies is one of those companies doing something to really meaningfully help people with medical expenses, in particular, getting their medications. Better makes over-the-counter medication, think pain, gas, cough and flu, sleep, all the essentials for your medicine cabinet. For every box of Better Remedies sold, they cover the cost of someone's life-saving medication for a month. And this is someone who would otherwise have to choose between food, rent, gas to get to work, or otherwise caring for themselves or their family. It is such an easy switch to make. You get the same great relief you need for 10% less than other big name brands, and someone who doesn't have the access to their meds will get the help they need. In general, it's good to know the active ingredient you need for your symptoms rather than just buying a big name brand. It'll save you money, and because active ingredients are FDA regulated, you'll still be getting the results you need. Plus, if you buy from Better, you are also helping someone else in a big way too. It's putting your headaches, farts, and insomnia to work. And that's something we can all feel better about. I've been buying my Better Remedies products at Walmart at any time I need to stock up. And you can do the same. Everything is priced about 10% less than the big brands, works just as well, and makes an impact on something that is really important and that I am personally very passionate about. Make the switch next time you need relief. You'll feel better and be doing some good. You know, yes. you matched years ago, and you are now board-certified urologist, and you were telling us of how you learned about this specialty. But what made you decide that I am going to this field? And as someone mentioned earlier of a male-dominated field, I just searched that in 2019, only 9.9% .9 
of urologists are women and it being also International Women's Month. How does it feel to break that barrier? But also, how do we break that barrier for everybody so that we have more women entering this field? So, like I said, I found out what urology was the second week in medical school when somebody somebody else was like, this is what I'm going to be. I didn't know what I was going to be. Yeah. I just was happy to be there. And then I had to Google it and I realized, I looked at it, I was like, okay, surgeon, male reproductive. I, I was like, both those words kind of freaked me out. Surgeon, male reproductive. No, I'm not a surgeon. Are you serious? No, I can't be a surgeon. What is, I don't see any black girls that are surgeons. I certainly don't see any black girls that are, I don't see any women, period, doing urology. Like it was crossed off the list. And um, the moment that changed my life, really, literally changed my life was sitting in class second year medical school. And we were getting a lecture by a urologist and I was about to pack my ish up and go. And then in walks in the urologist, Dr. Lenane Westney, who is a black woman still at the institution associated with MD Anderson. And I literally was just amazed. I was her presence in itself. She didn't even have to say a word. The moment I saw her as the urologist giving the lecture, I she was making a statement without make, saying a word. Mm. She spoke to me without saying a word. You know, she basically spoke to me and said, little black girl, you can do whatever. Okay. And when I say that, I mean, little brown girl, little yeah. um, whatever. Yeah. Okay, this is for everybody who is marginalized, inferior, who doesn't see themselves mm -hmm. in the world, who doesn't see themselves in what they want to be. This, like, it spoke. And so I, like, I just immediately was like, wow, okay, well, she's a badass and I want to be like her. Let me follow her. Let me see what this urology thing is about because mm -hmm. this is sounding real cool to me right now. <laughs> So I shadowed her and her colleagues and I've discovered a field that is so like full of cool people, by the way, urologists are like the coolest. Um, and so I loved it. I was like, these are my people. I found my people. I found my calling. And to think, to think that just an opportunity, right? Had that lecture been, I'll tell you this, if had that, had that lecture been a white man, yeah. like 80% of urologists are or something men. Yeah. I would have gotten my stuff and left. Yeah. Because I had already crossed it off my yeah. list. I would have just said, okay, well, this isn't a mandatory lecture. I don't have to mm -hmm. stay here. You know, got my stuff and left and never looked back. Yeah. Wow. So um, it, it's profound. So, just a little moment like that. And I forgot the rest of your question. Uh, <laughs> I think my question was, how do you think we'll break that barrier? For oh, yes. Future women break the... Yes, 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 yeah. okay. <laughs> so I, I, they used to call me Windy City in college. And it's not because I live in Chicago now, because that was I didn't even live in Chicago then. Mm -hmm. But they called me Windy City in college because I just am long-winded. Yeah. Okay, we have to start early. You don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know how cool something is like urology if you don't know, if you don't see, if you don't talk, if you don't get exposure, okay? And again, this is the other fault line in medicine. It's like, mm -hmm. You can go through medical school, never been exposed to a dope specialty that yeah. you would fit right in, mm -hmm. but you didn't get exposed. Okay. So we need to start early, early, early. We really need to start making stuff like this, something that people can see themselves in even as early as junior high, high school. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Junior high, high school. This is why I love TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love doing things that are like, you know, it's fun for me. I think it's fun. You know, you get to see my personality because yeah. honestly, Thank you, UGA. She's like, I love your TikToks. I like literally it's me that I'm not even trying to pretend to be anybody yeah. else. It's just me coming through. But it's fun. So somebody's like, oh, that's funny. She's gonna be like, oh, she's silly and quirky. Oh, and she's a urologist. Whoa. Wonder what that means. What does she do? Oh, that's kind of cool. You see that I'm saying? So you get to connect. Yeah. Once you connect with another human and they feel like they can relate to you, wow, then they may want to be interested in what you have to do. We have to do a way better we in urology need to do a way better job mm -hmm. of telling of showing ourselves being relatable being accessible and if we want to increase it and, and particularly targeting marginalized mm -hmm. individuals yeah you know in urology two percent of urologists are are black if that so it, we got a lot of work to do yeah. it has to be intentional yeah we can't just think by passive osmosis yeah. they gonna find us because they won't. They won't. Yeah, you know, it is a super interesting field. I mean, even during nursing school before, 
I think urology was one of the fields I was like, okay, I get it, you know, bladder, peeing, erectile dysfunction, okay. Yeah. And uh, over time, you know, I, I used to work in cardiac surgery, step down, so everything is connected when <laughs> the patient's in the hospital. I was like, wait, this is so cool. Like, one kidney blockage can kill off a person, you know what I mean? I was like, wow, this is so interesting and i think that's what i wanted to ask is what do you think are the most interesting parts of urology or if not interesting what do you think is the bread and butter of urology you go into your clinic and these are the three or five things that you know for sure you're going to see that day well so one thing is again a lot of people don't know about urology including healthcare professionals so there's two major goals Mm. with my platform show the world urology like bring urology to the world, demystify it, yeah. show the world urology. There are patients out there that they don't know they need a urologist. There are healthcare professionals that don't know what we do. There are medical students who don't know how cool it is. Yeah. Number two, representation matters. Mm-hmm. I'm a black woman mm-hmm. doing my thing. And I want the world to see that I, you know, this is, I can bring my authentic self. So getting back to that showing urology, urology is super cool. It's a, it's a specialty, but it's pretty broad. Within a specialty, we have stones, kidney mm-hmm. stones. We have cancers, kidney, yeah. bladder, penile, testicular, mm-hmm. prostate. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have sexual dysfunction, mm-hmm. you know, erectile dysfunction, mm-hmm. low libido, premature ejaculation. Again, these are primarily thought to be male sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Urologists like me are doing female sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm helping him and her. I love that. That's like, I love that. Like if I can help him and her or him and him or her and her, baby, (laughs) I love it. There we go. I love it. Them and them. I don't care. You know, so, you know, we do that. And some of these things we might need to do surgery for to treat. Mm -hmm. We do obviously a lot of incontinence and leakage, leaky bladders. I love incontinence too. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that a lot of people don't talk about. Mm -hmm. Like probably half your friends have probably had an episode of incontinence in their life, but ain't no one, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You could be married to somebody who's completely suffering from incontinence or Mm -hmm. leaky and never, and never Mm -hmm. know. It's the thing that people hide. Somebody in the chat earlier said, is it normal to leak when you run? And nothing, none of that is normal. You know, Mm -hmm. normal is not Mm -hmm. to leak. Is it something super wrong with you or is it super rare? And I would say no. Even the one of the myths is that young people, when you're young, you're not supposed to leak your bladder. No, no, young people leak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Men leak too. Yeah. You know, or or individuals with the penises, they leak too. Mm-hmm. So incontinence and sex are like my biggest mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. I also really like something called prolapse, which we treat mm-hmm. in within urology Mm -hmm. prolapse is where you have a hernia if you have a vagina you have a hernia in your vagina so like Mm -hmm. things are like coming out almost like (laughs) i have a patient who said it's like i feel like i've grown a scrotum (laughs) and i gotta and they literally will i have to adjust it as i sit and i'm I'm seeing prolapses that are like as big as my head yeah okay and i love fixing those up. I love it. I love it. I love giving people a shiny new vagina, shiny new pelvic floor. It's like, Ooh, I get to see, I, I, I always, I'm like, looks like a brand new Bugatti. Like I'm just so happy for that. Yeah. And and honestly, that's one of the things that's so interesting and I can imagine so rewarding about it. So, you know, there's things that we know like bladder cancer or kidney stones and testicular cancer, but I feel like also the beauty with the urology and the surgical aspect of it is the way that you literally change lives by hitting the most stigmatized and shamed conditions, right? We have things like erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or prolapses, even urge or stress or neurogenic bladders. Mm-hmm. How do you, as the physician who sits down with this patient and sees them, there's a whole psychosocial aspect to this whole field of urology. How do you manage that within yourself that you give hope to these people, that emotional toll on you for sure? I joke that I'm a Europsychiatrist. Actually, one of my uh, close colleagues was like, we're Europsychiatrists. Don't, yeah. you know, don't be fooled. Like part urology, part psychiatrist. And I do definitely feel like that half of the time mm-hmm. for sure. You know, you're talking to, like you said, you're talking about things that people have either felt a lot of shame Mm -hmm. over or just have changed their lives, quality of life so negatively. They've gone into shells. And 
you know, I think that part of being a good doctor, no matter what specialty you are, Mm -hmm. is connecting with a human. Mm -hmm. Okay, finding some way. And I, you don't have to look like the human to connect with the human. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to look like you to connect with you. You don't have to look like me to connect with yeah. me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There are ways that we can connect, right? Yeah. And so finding a way to connect to the human and letting them, allowing them to be themselves. So I tell patients, this is a no judgment zone. Nothing here is going to embarrass me. Mm-hmm. I'm not judging you. You can tell me what, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I want patients to leak like on my mm-hmm. exam. So like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying, I want you to leak. So don't hold back. Like I promise you it won't, you know, I use myself as an example. Like I don't take myself seriously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll be like, yeah, when I, I have overactive bladder too, as soon as I finish the case, cause this happens in real life, like mm-hmm. I'll do surgery for like five hours. And then as soon as the drapes go off, I'm like, I got to go so bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like doing the pee pee dance. And so I, yeah. I tell them, I'm like, yeah, I do. I go through this too. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that part as much as I love surgery. Love it. Mm-hmm. That's first and foremost. Yeah. I really love the the unique moments where I can connect with the patient and they're like, you know, they just feel, you know, they just feel better. Even I haven't even prescribed a med. Just I talk. haven't done any, <laughs> anything, but I've just made them yeah. give validated them. Yeah. You know, I've had a patient who came to see me for painful bladder symptoms mm-hmm. and burnt this match. She had all these tests going, mm-hmm. had a bunch of tests, all negative, And she was like anxious as heck. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I said, if something, something happened, like what? Cause it started, like, it was like two weeks of like misery. Mm-hmm. It's like, what happened? Like mm-hmm. something, go, you know, what's what happened? And I come to find out the patient had cheated on her husband. And she was feeling an incredible amount of shame and Mm. guilt. Okay. Mm -hmm. And internalizing it and just, you know, and I just sat there for a moment with her and I said, you're not an evil person. Mm -hmm. You, you, we we make bad decisions, but Mm -hmm. we don't, that doesn't have to define your worth, Mm -hmm. you know, and you are capable of being a, you are worthy of being mm-hmm. a lovely person and all just kind of encouraging her yeah. through this. Like yeah. it was immediate as soon as she released that off her shoulders, like, and she walked out of my office. I didn't even prescribe her one med. And she was like, I just feel better. That's it. <laughs> so, like, I basically gave her therapy. Um, so it doesn't, I don't feel a toll. I'm not an official psychiatrist, so I don't mm-hmm. get all of everything, but I don't feel a toll. It, it makes me feel more connected. I feel, mm-hmm. I feel honored that people feel comfortable enough to tell me some, some of their stuff. And it's all walks of lives that I get to touch. So I love that. Yeah. And I think it really helps that you have such a bubbly personality. (laughs) I guess it's such a very interesting field, but there's really a lot of emotions imbued into it in the patients themselves, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you recently posted about syphilis and, you know, your field also deals with a lot of STIs. And I think this is one of the many things in medicine that's been stigmatized again and again and again throughout decades. What do you think is our role as healthcare professionals to break that stigma? Not just STIs, but I guess within your field itself too. Yeah, yeah. Syphilis, herpes, all that. I talked about herpes like a couple of weeks ago and the stigma with that. And um, uh, I think we just... Our body language says a lot. Like if we're like, you know, patients pick up on all that. They will pick up on all that. Okay. So, you know, how we use our body language and remembering Mm -hmm. that I try to remember, because there's been a couple of times I've been a patient Mm -hmm. and I'm telling you what, when the doctor becomes the patient, you're like, oh, well, this is a scary world here. <laughs> so like this, everything's, you know, like, oh, yeah. so when I find that I'm loose, cause we're not, I'm, you know, I get a little impatient sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I find myself getting impatient with the patient yeah. or thinking, oh, I try to like stop and say, okay, to the patient, this is something going on with them that is new, scary, weird, uncomfortable, intrusive, da, 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 like affecting, like I, to me, it's one of 40 patients that I might have to see, but to them, this is affecting them. Mm. They are living in this. 
when I walk out of this room, I'm moved on to the next person. Mm -hmm. They walk out of the room and still living in that. So I try to put myself in that with every patient encounter. And when I do that, particularly with as it relates to STIs and STDs, mm-hmm. you know, I've never been unfortunate because I've always been the type of person who is not black and white with me. Yeah. Okay. You know, people are complex. You have to leave some room. And, and let's be real. If one in four women have herpes, why are we stigmatizing some of yeah. this stuff? Yeah. Like a half of this stuff we stigmatize, people don't even know they got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. People don't know they got it. Yeah. So it's just, we've been conditioned mm-hmm. to be, to, to, yeah. we've been so conditioned, so conditioned. Yeah. And I just never want anybody to feel worthless in my presence yeah. Yeah. ever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Doc. Yeah. I had a OBGYN physician in January too, and we were talking about for cervical health awareness month, Dr. Gofrani just said how, we have stigmatized HPV so much when you could have lived your life not knowing that you actually have, you know. HPV yeah. shouldn't even be a thing. Like, yeah. it shouldn't really be a thing, yeah. right? The HPVs that matter are the ones yeah. that we now have vaccines yeah. for. Yeah. So that should be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, but like, whoop-dee-doo HPV. I, yeah. I mean, same thing really with herpes. Herpes yeah. is actually, when you really learn about it, it's like a whoop-dee-doo. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, it's, you know, but yeah. whoop-dee-doo, let's, I'm not saying whoop-dee-doo, don't, yeah. don't, just, <laughs> uh, don't use condoms. Please, yeah. please use condoms. Yeah. Please get tested. Please, please, you know. Um, but we whoop-dee-doo as far as like, oh my God, they're, untouchables you know untouchable yeah Yeah. which is why people with herpes don't disclose yeah like Mm because what what, you know what i'm saying when you're looked at as a leper yeah you know yeah Yeah. and i think that's what your field is so amazing at doing is trying to break those barriers and those stigmas and i think those are one of the things that needs to mystify and not really really talked about is no one discloses that oh i have I leak a lot, you know. Oh, no one discloses, oh, I have premature ejaculation or I have erectile dysfunction. I think those are the ones that shut out in the corners. But it's so great that in this time of medicine, we have people like you who promotes this education about these stuff. You know, instead of instead of like shying away from it, you actually tackle it head on and just educate people about it. Right. And that's and that's amazing. Having worked as a nurse in cardiac surgery recovery and outpatient interventional cardiology, I learned that listening is a vital part of the field. But beyond listening to what patients say, it is also important to hear what they don't say. And many times, you can hear this in the stillness and quietness of the room as their chest thumps and rhythms that can range from normalcy to urgency. A person's heartbeat is not only a sign of life, but also a sign of its quality. According to the CDC, arrhythmias, or abnormal heart sounds, have an expected prevalence of about 1.5% in the general population, with atrial fibrillation being the most common. This is why it is so important that we can adequately hear and detect heart and even lung sounds that may be detrimental to human life. ECHO provides smart digital stethoscopes, such as the 3M Letman Core Digital Stethoscope, that help you check for signs of heart and lung disease in seconds during physical exams with unprecedented enhanced stethoscope sound and automated detection. This is all through a quick pairing with your mobile device. This is made possible by features such as having up to 40 times amplification, active noise cancellation, wireless listening, auto-triggered heart murmur and atrial fibrillation detection, and real-time visualization of sound and ECG that you can share as a consult with a trusted colleague or specialist. Every patient encounter deserves exceptional care. Hear clearly and care confidently with ECHO. The virtual space is flooded with so many different brands, resources, and gears made for healthcare workers from all disciplines. From scrubs to pins and even compression socks, it can truly get overwhelming trying to find the best product fit for you. Links to these items can get lost, and the list can get so long that you forget what you actually needed to purchase for your next work shift. This is why I am so grateful to partner with Lumify, the community marketplace for healthcare workers all in one app. Finding the brands you love, discovering new tools, and accessing your resources and communities shouldn't be difficult. Instead of going to 50 different websites to access what you need, you can find it all on Lumify, where over 200 brands, organizations, and resources are united with one goal, to support healthcare workers. 
As a nurse-founded company, Lumify believes that all healthcare professionals deserve a trusting and supportive community of their peers. In Lumify, you can easily communicate with your peers to trade advice, share product recommendations, and discuss what resources are best to support you. You can even earn Lumify points on every purchase you complete, which you can save for product discounts. Whether it's mental health resources, or fluid-resistant shoes, hi Chloe, or stethoscopes, hi Echo, or podcasts, welcome to France of France, Lumify is trusted by over 75,000 healthcare professionals at the bedside and beyond, including myself. Enter this new healthcare ecosystem where you can get 10% off using the code LUMIFYFRANZ, that's L-U-M-I-F-Y-F-R-A-N-Z, at LUMIFYCARE.com, or the Lumify app available for download on iOS devices. It's a one-stop shop, and I hope you drop by. The things that people do like hearing about or don't really shy about is the glorious field of surgery. You know, I, I personally, when, when I was learning about the urologic system, I didn't even know that the field of urology is a subspecialty of surgery. (laughs) Surgeons, yep. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And when I started um, reading about you as well, preparation for this style, I was like, Dr. Milhouse is like, the coolest person ever. <laughs> the coolest person ever. And there I are way to, cooler people than me, but thank you. <laughs> I want to delve more into that surgical aspect of urology. One, what is your most favorite surgery that you do? And two, I guess not a question, but it's more of a statement that isn't it so fulfilling to see a female surgeon? And not just a female surgeon, but a female black surgeon. I think the world of medicine has been racist for a long time. <laughs> For a long, long time. I mean, even (laughs) even the roots of the MCAT is very economic, elitist, and racial-based. And I want you to talk more about that surgical aspect, given that it is your favorite thing. What is your favorite surgery? And what do you love about the field of surgery? I love surgery because it is where I can see my actual work manifest in mm. most cases, especially with what I do. I don't take surgery for granted. I mean, yeah. I look at the knife like the same way you respect a gun. You know, you have been, I find it a, a privilege. I'll tell patients, thank you for the privilege that you have yeah. given me to trust me yeah. to like, you put you to sleep and I get to cut, cut on you or whatever. Yeah. So I take that privilege very, very seriously. I learned that early in, in residency that mm-hmm. you take no case for granted. Nothing is routine. You must respect this is a human asleep on the table. But I love reconstruction. A lot of what mm-hmm. we do is reconstruction. So think about like, you know, making something look new with like a Legos or putting something together. <laughs> we do a lot of reconstruction. So I love it. Favorite surgery. It's hard to pick one. I do really love operating with the robot. Somebody mentioned the mm-hmm. Da Vinci robot. Yeah. Yes, the Da Vinci robot is, is a way that we do surgery. It helps the surgeon to sit. I love sitting down during surgery. <laughs> it's like, oh, who wants to stand when you can sit? Honey? Okay. So I get to sit in the console, 3D, look inside the body. It's a 3D magnified image. And I get to just play like I'm playing video games. And basically it does the surgery. So that's the robot. <laughs> My girlfriend, Rena, Dr. Malik uh, is in the house. She is another fabulous. She's your favorite urologist, urologist. Okay, everybody. <laughs> Just saying, your favorite urologist, urologist is Dr. Rena Malik, who has entered the chat. Hey, sis. Um, but anyway, she's like agreeing with me. Yeah, like so sitting down during surgery plus be seen 3D plus, you know, that's what the robot lets you do. Um, I like reconstructing the vagina. I love it. I just love it. Like I said earlier, I really love it. You see it immediately, you know, and um, it's just so, and these patients are almost always like so happy. They're like, oh my God. I was going to say. You know, you see them, you're like, man, I should have done this a million years ago. (laughs) I feel great. You give me my life back. Boom. They get some confidence back. They start feeling a little sexier in the bedroom. All of that. I love it. I love it. With men, I love doing a couple different procedures. There's a procedure that we can do for men who leak called an artificial urinary sphincter, where we implant this device that helps to try to, you know, keep them drier. And 
I love seeing those patients too. And doing that procedure, we get to operate around the urethra, which I really like the urethra and the dissection around that area. That's the tube you pee out of. And then these men, you think it's embarrassing to leak. It's embarrassing-er because of, you know, what we think yeah. as a man to feel like, oh, I got to go to a doctor because I leak, you know, yeah. but there are men who suffer from this. Yeah. And when they see you back and then you get to turn the device on, they start using it and they're just super happy. So yeah, uh, yeah. And that's a lot of, of favorites. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And speaking of still in that surgery, as someone is asking too, is, you know, I think the field of surgery or specifically residency is known for being quote unquote toxic in the OR, right? Like toxic attendings, scary attendings. As Dr. Yates the Great Go has asked, do you think yeah. um, it has changed the culture of surgery, specifically as a woman? Like I said earlier, that less than 10% of urologists are women. Surgery is still toxic. Sorry to break the, <laughs> break the bad news. Okay. It's getting better. Okay. It's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. Okay. It's not as bad as it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. It's not as bad. Okay. There's a lot that has changed that has made it better. It still has a ways to go. Mm-hmm. It's still a very intimidating environment. One that uh, makes a lot of medical students cross it off their list immediately. So then they don't get to see what the real actual, what it is actually like without that, all that intimidation. You know, I was definitely intimidated being in the operating room. That's why there was no way I saw myself as a urologist. I did not enjoy my general surgery rotation experience in medical school. Mm. Yeah, they, it was, they, you know, the first week. We're medical students, yeah. medical students. Yeah. Okay. The first week they want us to present the patients fine, but then they're like, Oh my God, that was terrible. <laughs> you and these are the attendings, oh the attendings God. telling third fresh third year medical students. This was July of third year. I've never seen this is the first time in the hospital on a rotation. Yeah. And so thank God I still gave the OR another chance after that. So, and it's some of the toxicity can come from even just the other staff. Yeah. I will say this though, urologists tend to be like happier people mm-hmm. and happier surgeons yeah. and they like me like to talk. So that was, a, and I'm being very general and a little biased. I will say, yeah. I don't want to disparage any surgery <laughs> person here, but um, I will say being on rotation with urology was like, it was, you know, easier, you know, it was funner. It was, you know, the OR was not as intimidating yeah. and um, personalities were really mm-hmm. uh, welcoming. So it's getting better. We, we recognize this, the culture towards women in surgery has, is needs, you know, yeah, it's still a boys club. Yeah. It's still yeah. a boys club. Yeah. I talked about this really more on my Facebook page, but mm-hmm. um, as a black woman surgeon, when I walk into the surgeon's lounge in the places I operate, I'm 99.9% of the time, the only black person there. Mm. Okay. Where I work, I work in, mm. not in the city of Chicago, in the suburbs. So 99% of the time, I'm the only black yeah. person yeah. in the room. Bumped into some other black surgeons and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> 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 you know, um, we have a black woman who's a vascular surgeon. Mm-hmm. And the first time, and she has locks like me. Oh my God. I was like, Oh my God. So anyway, um, yeah, so it's intimidating. I've had to battle feeling very much like an outsider, Mm. even as a surgeon today walking in the surgeon's Mm -hmm. lounge. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, but you know, TikTok is great because it, it shows you so many different videos from around the world. And actually like an hour ago, I was watching TikTok and it was the, um, finding out where we match for a residency. And one of yeah. the videos is literally six black women matching into surgery. And I was like, it is so timely. It is oh, so MG. timely of ours. Yes. And it's really something that we have to work on. And like you said earlier with starting early, I think we also have to start early with, we have to refine, redefine the whole medical application process. <laughs> There yeah, we do. So much change you have to do. I can get to this one question that we have. Any advice for getting a stubborn Caribbean man to a urologist for urinary incontinence? Well, let's just talk about getting men to any doctor. Uh, unfortunately, especially 
you know, our black brothers is, is yes, getting them to see a doctor. My own husband, <laughs> I have to like kind of sort of coax and drag to yeah. see his primary doctor every year. It's like, why do I have to see them every year? I'm like, cause that's how it is. They have to check you every year. Yeah. I feel great. I, I exercise five days a week, blah, blah, blah. Don't matter. I think a lot of the thing is feeling like they'll lose control, feeling obviously embarrassed as a man dealing with mm-hmm. this. A lot of, unfortunately, medicine isn't that, like, welcoming to marginalized peoples, okay? You know, you feel like your doctor might be condescending, Mm -hmm. might not listen to you, Mm -hmm. might disregard you. And this is, you know, so I think if you ask him, like, here, do you want to have me help you find a special specialist that you might feel comfortable with? Like, say, hey, let's find, let's, let's. Let's try to find somebody together. What would you let's and, and maybe say, let's just start with one visit. That's it. Um, you don't have to do any, just one visit. Let's just see what they have to say. We'll try to find somebody together, you know, maybe start with a telehealth visit. If he's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to physically be in the person. Okay. You just talk to the, you know, find somebody who's doing telehealth. Um, a lot of us are doing telehealth now. Somebody mm-hmm. asked if I was, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Telehealth is, is here and it's probably here to stay. So um, COVID kind of brought, solidified that so yeah you can start small steps meet them where they're at like what is it that's stopping you from ask them what is it that's stopping you do you think that there are no options because there are you see what i'm saying do you you know and maybe do some investigation like here i've looked at maybe this might be an option honey yeah like let's talk about maybe we should see somebody we can talk about this and if all else fails bribe them with sex (laughs) (laughs) there we go (laughs) There we go. This is why you're everyone's favorite urologist, Doctor Wilhouse. This is such an honor. You, I, thank you. Lovely personality. I've learned so much, and thank you so much for spending the night with us. I've been so excited for this, and uh, I love it. Thank you so much. You this inspired me so much. Thank you. Thank you. I thank hope you, you have. A- it's been a pleasure. I. This was so much fun. This was great. Your questions were awesome. I loved talking to you. This was a great discussion. Thank you, everybody who joined us. Yeah, we can comments, come back for another all, time. All in the of future that too. Yeah. And yes, yes. I can't wait to see what happens during your journey. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. We have now reached the end of the story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Friends of France. I hope you had an enjoyable adventure learning about our expert guests, their work, and why they do the things that they do. Please check out the rest of the series available on all podcast platforms. Please also consider following the podcast on the platform that you prefer. Turn on the alerts for new episodes so you don't miss new stories. And give us a rating to support the show. You can find more updates on the podcast's official Instagram at Friends of France Pod or my personal Instagram at Chris Franz. That's without the I because there is no I in team. <laughs> I'm kidding. Someone already took the username. Have a great day or night, everybody.